If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 2. If you would please give ear to the reading of God's word. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable before among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in a day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with fear, not only for the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, You take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For this, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless his reading. Let us pray. Father, We come before your word because we know here is the only place we can truly learn about you. Work in our hearts and help us to take the truths you give us this morning and apply them to our lives. 
Grant us grace to be able to imitate our Lord. Help us in our witness of your grace that we might fulfill your commission to all believers. The law of your mouth is more precious to us than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. We know our need is for you alone, Father. Hear our prayer this morning. Help us learn from your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. There is nothing harder to do than to live a Christian life. We are passing through a world that hates the one who is our Lord. It wants to destroy him and anyone who loves him. He wants to wipe away every member of his presence on this earth. We are called to pass through this world and to be witness of his word and love. We're asked to place ourselves in harm's way in order to make him known in a world that hates him. This is not an easy thing for anyone to do. As we begin to carry out the directives given us with regard to the, to the revealing of his message, we're going to face many dangers and we're going to confront much suffering. In this passage, Peter speaks some words that can be very disturbing. He tells slaves to submit to their masters. Yes, even to the masters that are hardened and, and ruthless. He wants them to do this as an example. An example of these hard and cruel to these hard and cruel men that there is a God. This seems very ironic. Since scripture our scriptures are always speaking of freedom. Does it not mean freedom from enslavement? No, it does not. It is speaking only of freedom from sin and death. The issue of slavery in regard to one man owning another as a slave is not ever condemned in Scripture. It's regulated. Why would God not condemn such a terrible practice? Because it is used to show the nature of mankind and the true need of man. Man did not need freedom from one another. What he needed was freedom from Satan, sin, and death. Jesus Christ was not sent into this world to lead a rebellion against these spiritual enemies. He came to purchase his people from these terrors. And even now, after our purchase, we can still find ourselves captured again by these evils if we are not diligent to follow his commands. Please understand, I'm not condoning the practice of slavery. It was Christian men who began the move to abolish slavery from the Western world because of its cruelty. The foundation for its removal was the freedom Christ won for us in his work. Without the influence of Christ in the Western world, slavery would still be a part of our lives. When that influence begins to diminish, we'll see slavery make a return. I think we can see it even today in our governmental welfare system. We're, we are, are making economic slaves of people by trapping them in a system of dependence with no way for them to earn their way out. Peter uses this idea of slavery and the Christian's responsibility in whatever situation providence has placed him to teach us about the example Christ has given us of how to live this Christian life. 
He does not in any way flower this up. He doesn't make it sound great. He puts it to you in all of its challenges. He brings you face to face with what God expects of you as a believer. It is never easy for us to see what God expects of us because it always seems harder than we can handle. Let's take Peter's words and learn what God expects of his people. First, he speaks to you about submission and its hardest elements. Second, he tells you about this calling that you've been given. Third, he teaches about the acceptance all believers must have to the work God is doing in this world and in their lives. We learned last week how important the doctrine of submission is to Christianity. God has called us as believers to submit to every authority he places over us. We also learn God is the one who creates all authorities. Peter turns now to those at the lowest point on society's scale, slaves. If we look at this from a purely human position, we'll not understand how an apostle of Jesus Christ can order someone to submit to one who is holding them in bondage. We have to look at this from a higher point than humanity. God created man in complete freedom. He was given the power to execute his own will. He made a choice, and that choice was to disobey God and follow his own path instead of following God's direction. Thus, Adam plunged society into utter chaos as every man did what was right in his own eyes. God had to step in and create a way in which to restore order. He did that by establishing a human chain of authority. We see this in Noah is coming in his coming off of the ark. God made his covenant with mankind. And a part of that covenant was establishing human authorities. We also learned last week that our obedience to human authority is a picture of our obedience to God. Listen to verses 18 and through 20. Servants, be submissive to your masters with, free, with fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. There can be no misunderstanding here. Peter says, servants, be submissive to your masters with fear. This means that if you are owned by another, you must submit to them and give them respect. We can apply this to many different areas in our lives. Employees, submit to your employers. Prisoners, submit to your guards. Contractors, submit to those you have contracted with. The idea here is not really slavery. It's respect of those God has given authority over you. And it clearly says it does not matter if you, they are nice and mean, kind and mean, or mean and hateful. Doesn't matter. You are called to submit and to be respectful to everyone in authority over you. If they are mean to you, that does not justify you being sinful in return. 
Two wrongs do not make a right. You are a believer, and you are called to do your study regardless of what anyone else is doing. Every one of us is under some authority. You cannot live in this world without authority. Therefore, this teaching, while directed at the lowest person in society, applies to everyone. He goes on to explain how this works. If you will be patient under your hardships, yes, even while suffering unjustly. If you will continue to do what you are called to do, even answering to an unjust master, you will be acceptable before God. Everyone who suffers in this way will be rewarded. There is no reward when you suffer for your own sin. It is only when you suffer for doing good and endure it that this is commendable before God. This is something that anyone up and down the scale of society can do. It's best illustrated for us by the lowest. It's most often the best servants, the best employers, employees that suffer the most. I'm sure you've all noticed that. The person with the greatest desire to show himself to be pleasing before God takes the hardest hit. Why? Because he refuses to complain. He refuses to try and deflect the pain to others. Aren't we good at that? We're going to make it look like, oh, it wasn't our fault. When we know good and well it was our fault. We want to try to deflect it. We want to try to ignore it. That man, that Christian, comes along and he must endure a lot of this. He's willing to take whatever is given if it helps him to bring glory to the God he serves. That's what we're out here to do. That's our purpose, to bring glory and honor to God, to open our lives up so that it exudes that wonderful trust we have in Jesus Christ. This sounds really hard. And I would be telling you a falsehood if I told you it was not hard. You are not anybody's slave as an American citizen. We're blessed in that way in this country. You are free to quit your job. You're free to go find another one if you have a bad boss. You're free to move to another town or state if the government officials over you are bad and not doing what they're supposed to do. You can file for and receive a no-fault divorce if your spouse is not what you want. You can leave your church and join another one just down the street without any questions if you don't like the pastor or the elders. We have made it so easy to run away from trouble until I'm afraid far too many in this country don't have the first idea how to deal with personal problems in a scriptural way. Peter says, you should never run from problems. What does he tell us? Stand up. Stand up to them. Seek God's help in living through that problem. Deal with your heart first. Work at being what God called you to be. If you are in, uh, you're a slave with a bad master, don't let his sin cause you to sin. Buckle down. Be the blessed slave he has. God called you to a life of submission and your first responsibility is to him and obedience to his commands.
Therefore, be submissive to every authority he places in your life. Endure any suffering that comes your way so as to show yourself to be his servant and to be a witness of his love, grace, and mercy to all who are around you. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verses 21 through 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasant to his, in his sight. Your salvation is secure. It's secure because of the works of Jesus Christ. In other words, you are saved by grace. You're also sanctified by grace. Your works don't earn you anything. But the fruit of your salvation and sanctification is your obedience to God's commands. The slave is called to submit unto his master. He was created to submit and placed in the situation he is in by God's grace. His responsibility is to live the life God gave him in a manner becoming the glory of God. Why? Because it will have implications for others. 1 Timothy 6.1 Let us let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may, be blessed, may not be blasphemed. You. You are to submit unto the authorities placed over you. Why? So that you will show them the glory of God's name. That's our purpose, isn't it? As believers, is to show others the glory of God. What is witnessing? Witness is nothing more than telling people what Jesus Christ has done for you, how he has helped you. Your submission to those placed over you in God's providence is a part of God's plan. The implication here concerning slaves is that their testimony and obedience may bring their masters to know Jesus Christ. Every believer is a slave and his master is God and he has been called for but one purpose. Look at verses 21 through 23. For, this, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was revealed, reviled, did not revile in turn. But he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. God called you as a believer in Christ to be a witness to a dying world. You are to be the example of a godly life. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. Not even when everybody around him was engaged in sin or persecuting him. He never railed against them. He never struck out at them. Jesus knew who his real enemies were. They were not men, but sin, Satan, and death. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6:12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, when we are called to suffer, it is because of these enemies, 
These enemies have made an attack against us because of our faith. Satan wants to destroy anyone with faith, just as he tried to destroy Jesus Christ. Believers are a people called to lay their lives on the line for what they believe. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to lay your life out there for Jesus Christ and for his name, if it will bring glory and honor to him, even if it means your death? That's something we all need to search our hearts about. We all need to ask ourselves those questions. We're to lay our lives out there. We are called to suffer for the truth, for what is good. As a believer, you should be ever ready to suffer. Does not the scripture call believers to die unto self and live for God? That's what that means. Are they not called to take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ? God has called you. Providence has prepared you. Divine grace has empowered you. And the practice of Jesus himself led you into a life of suffering. Jesus Christ suffered for each and every believer. He suffered for you. It was not the Father that suffered, but the one the Father sent. The one the Father sanctified, set apart for this very purpose. He came and suffered both in body and soul. And he did so in the place of everyone who believes in him. He did it in your stead and for your good. There is nothing that should stiffen your resolve more when faced with suffering than remembering what Christ suffered for you. He came and suffered voluntarily, not for himself, but for you. He did this with great patience. He was more than ready. He was more than willing. He took on far more than we could ever begin to understand. His suffering was so much greater than anything we ever asked or asked to endure. We deserve far more than even he suffered because of our rebellion against God. So can't we endure these light afflictions of this life, which in the end bring great good to all who love God? Can you not see the power of this example Christ has given us? Christ's subjection and patience is magnified for us. He endured all of this suffering wrongfully and without cause. This man never sinned against God. He did absolutely nothing wrong. There was no injustice in him at all. He had no deceit in his heart. He never had a foul word come from his mouth. All he did was bring us the truth of God and the forgiveness of our sins. When they took him and beat him, scourged him and pulled out his beard, he patiently took their torments. Jesus didn't rail against them. He didn't try to strike back at them. No, instead, he willingly went to the cross and died in the place of his people. One of the great lessons this teaches is that provocations to sin never justify the commission of sin. You may be a slave, you may be horribly mistreated, but as a believer, you're called to return kindness for evil. There can be no harder expectation of us to come face to face with evil and stand firm in love. Rudeness, cruelty, or injustice does not give grounds for everyone, for revenge. 
I don't care how horrible the sin, I don't care how great the evil. As believers, we always have a stronger reason to avoid sin. We can stand with confidence in the love of Jesus Christ. You can be sure of this. As a believer, you will be rewarded for following Christ's example. The scripture tells us revenge belongs to God. Those who do not follow his example can also be sure that God will judge them for their every evil word, action, and thought. We are called to tell the world the truth and endure their evil because we have the promise God will see to our defense. This is why he has called us to trust in him. Please, do not misunderstand what these verses say and think that Christ came only as an example. He did not. He came as much, much more. Verses 24 through 25, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Submission is a very important doctrine of Christianity. Why? Because God has called all men to hear and believe on him. He calls them to come into life, a life of emulation, following the example Jesus gave in his life and death. He also calls us to a life of acceptance. What is it you're called to accept? In these verses, Paul tells us, first, you must hear and accept that Jesus Christ came into this world to carry the sins of his people. Paul, Peter says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Under the old covenant, the sins of the people were placed on the head of the goat. He was led out of the camp and released. A second goat was sacrificed for their forgiveness. Jesus Christ was the one who took our sins and offered himself as a sacrifice in our place. Peter makes sure you understand it was Christ and he himself. No one helped him. No one participated with him in this work. He offered himself as the only sacrifice. Therefore, to come into this salvation, you must come believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus alone that saves. Listen to what Peter said in verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. A cornerstone is the most important stone in a building. It is the stone upon which everything else is referenced in the building process. Without that stone, the building will not be plumb, square, or in any way secure. Without Jesus Christ and an understanding of his work, there will be no salvation. To be a part of the church of God, the kingdom of God. You must believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Why did Christ do all of this? That we having died to sins might live for righteousness. God gives. He gives to all who are his a new heart, a new spirit, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you are changed 
so that you can see yourself for the sinner you are and recognize the grace and mercy offered in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is given to guide you into a right understanding of what God expects of you. He's there. He's there to help you identify sin. He's there to help you remove that sin from your life. He's there to guide you into all truth. Jesus went to Calvary's cross. He went there in order to ensure that you could not only have forgiveness of sins, but also a new life in him. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee of that new life. Without his ministry, you would never die to sin. You would never be able to live for righteousness. And he came only because Christ paid the price that you could never pay. Jesus came down. He gave his life an atonement for you. And it is only through that atonement that you can come to salvation. Peter tells you how Christ did this. By his wounds you have been healed. Those are some of the most comforting words in all of scripture. By this, these wounds, by his wounds you have been healed. This brings us back to the suffering of Jesus. He was beaten. He was scourged. Because he willingly underwent this suffering. Suffering that he was really yours because of your sin. Because he took those sufferings upon himself, you have been saved. The healing he speaks of and this spiritual healing forgiveness brings to your soul salvation. That healing is the forgiving of your sins. It's through that healing that you are brought to the salvation. The healing he speaks of is the spiritual healing. That's what forgiveness is. It's the spiritual healing. It's ab it is absolutely necessary that you know and understand that Jesus has come, that he has done all of this for you so you can know you have salvation. Peter says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All of this was necessary. Why? Because you were lost and without hope. You could not understand the truth of God's word with your stony heart and your dead spirit. You had no consciousness of God or his plan until he gave you the new heart. You had to, to have that new heart to hear the gospel. You had to, to have the new spirit to understand the salvation given in Christ. You had to have the Holy Spirit to enter into his presence to, as Peter says, return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, to Jesus Christ. John 14, 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Obedience is a must for all of God's children. God says in 1 John 2, 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Peter makes it very clear. To be saved requires that you believe in the Son and the work he did, the work he accomplished. The doctrine of submission is so very important. Without total submission to God's word and his plan of redemption, there can be no salvation. 
Jesus Christ coming into this world to save us also gives to us a perfect example of how we are to submit. He comes in total submission to the Father. He also comes in submission to the authorities of his day. He willingly allows them to persecute him. He goes to trial and submits to their verdict even though it's wrong. He even submits to their judgment and goes to Calvary's cross. In all of this, God is working to bring salvation to all who will hear his call and obey his commands. I call you to hear. Hear his call and believe on his only begotten son. Christ calls, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. There's no rest except you come to Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. His life declares this truth. His death secures its power. His resurrection proclaims it eternally. Please, open your hearts. You may already be a believer, and that's wonderful. But open your heart even further. Hear the words that Christ calls us in submission to those in authority over us. Be willing to suffer in the name of your Lord and Savior, if that's what he's called you to do. Because that's what Christianity is all about. Placing your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's where submission begins. That's where submission ends. Let us pray. Father, we come before your throne this day because you called us. And in calling us, you promised we will be called priests of the Lord and ministers of our God. Give each one here this morning the strength and courage they need to go and declare your love, grace, and mercy to others. Empower us to be what you have called us to be. Guide us in our prayers before you that they may strengthen us in your love. Grant us the resolve to lift our voices in prayer for one another. Show us your love. Fill us with, our, with love for one another. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.